0: This Speedcast is brought to you by AF1 Racing of Austin, Texas. The best Italian motorcycles and scooters. AF1RacingAustin.com Okay, Speed City fans, I'm delighted to start 2015 with a brand new bike show. A show dedicated to the motorcycle racing world, whether it be MotoGP, World Superbikes, Moto America, British Championship, Australian Championship, you name it. And who better to start with? than my old mucker, Steve Martin, who's down there building a house, I believe, down in Melbourne, Australia. How are you, buddy? I've missed you.
1: Yeah, I've missed you too, Jono. As you can see, I've got that mountain man look about me that all us Australians have down here. So, um, no, it's, um, it's been good. I'm good. And, um, you know, just off the back of World Superbike down here, um, you know, it's a, there's a lot to talk about.
0: Well, everybody's been asking where the heck we were, and I know you were down at Phillip Island, but clearly you've just been uh, trying out for the new Survivor. That's what I can tell everyone. And then most people know now I'm going to be doing Moto America with this quiet guy uh, that I've got to kind of bring out of his shell a little bit. Maybe you could help out. A fella called Colin.
1: Oh, yeah, that'd be uh, Colin Edwards, I suppose. Well, good luck with that. Um, You're going to have to tame him down. And I'll, I'll tell you what. For the first time in your life, you're going to have someone crazier than you to work with. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, Moto America. And, um, you know, I'm really excited, actually, about uh, the way that it's all comes together and that, uh, you know, you're involved in it, he's involved in it, Christy Lee's also involved in it. Um, I think the championship's going to be great. Similar sort of thing happening here in Australia. It seems to me that this is the year that the national championships uh, are fighting back to the world championships. I mean, ASBK, Australian Superbike Championship here, has also uh, launched a, a a new series down here. We're going to be aired on uh, Fox here in Australia. So um, big thing's happening down here too.
0: Well, let's start with that. Well, Philip uh, Island uh, obviously uh, started the, the racing year. Uh, let's start with Australian superbikes. Why not? So you're involved in that. Uh, what happened? I mean, you know, I think we could throw a similar scenario at the Australian championship as we have at the American which is you know where where, where are all those great australians where's the next mcduan where's the next steve martin why haven't we seen anybody since the stauffer's really come out of that championship
1: you know i think uh, in all the championships uh, around the world the national championships except for spain and italy of course because they're an animal all to themselves but um, my feeling is is that You know, America, Australia, New Zealand, we we haven't um, had the same presence uh, in the community abroad. What I mean by that is that, I mean, kids have got Xboxes now, you know, they they do other stuff rather than, you know, uh, get, you know, ride a motorbike. It's harder to ride motorbikes in these countries and the classes haven't been there and on top of that it's been a lot more of an expensive sport. So, In Spain and Italy, they have mini-moto, lots of small classes, and the kids get involved at a very young age. There's lots of places to ride motorbikes. You yourself know what it's like in Spain. I mean, Hmm. there's a track in every city, basically. Wherever you go, there's a road racing track or a motocross circuit. It's just not like that anymore, at least here in Australia. And I think that's part of the reason. The other reason is the rules that we've had uh, were set in these countries when uh, cigarette sponsorship was still around, uh, you know, 15 years ago or 20 years ago when, you know, it, it was nothing to have a, a load of money. You know, you could have, you know, 50, 60 grand, you could buy all the expensive bikes. The rules didn't suit the amount of money uh, in the fi- in the financial times. So now we've um, got uh, uh, dumbed-down motorcycles here in Australia, at least, and I know you have over there. So the bikes are a lot cheaper to race. And also, at least here in Australia, with the Australian Superbike Championship now, um, the classes that we run, we run Supersport um, for 600s, which is a pathway into World Supersport, uh, you know, obviously uh, to head off to of the World Superbike. We have our version of Superbike, which is pretty similar to the American version, which is a fairly standard machine. Um, but we also have Moto3 and a junior class as well. The juniors run um, 80cc two-strokes, like an RMU. And if you don't know what an RMU is, you can... Um, Google RMU and um, you can see what a little 80cc RMU is. It's actually, it's a, it's a little road racing bike with a, with a small motocross style engine in it. Um, and then of course Moto 3. The reason we have those classes of course is to try and um, get some guys into the Moto GP. We have had, a, you know, us Australians speaking as Australian, we've got a few guys um, that have started to filter through. Um, you know, we've got Jack Miller who's um, in Moto GP now. And um, there's also in the Red Bull rookies cup uh, a young guy called um, Ollie Simpson that's been there for a couple of years. So um, we've got a couple of guys feeding through, but we're working hard on the problem here in the Australian Superbike Championship to uh, get the youth through by creating classes that allow you know the mums and dads to be able to afford it, and also sensible classes. You know, like there's no point racing a naked six hundred. Um, bike uh, because that's not going to lead anywhere you know if you want to you know I guess for the Australian Championship our philosophy is to create classes that can lead our young talent off to uh, you know overseas and that's what it's all about.
0: Well, certainly that's what Wayne Rainey and the new Moto America uh, scene wants to do. And you mentioned, you know, I want to also mention Jed Metcher and that. He was out racing at Phillip Island. And, and of course, Arthur Cisse. we've mentioned Jack Miller, but there's a few coming up. I, so I, I didn't want to sort of totally ride off the Australian scene. It's just not as dominant, you know, as it was when you and Mick were, were, were kind of racing in the Australian Championship.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you look on the photo behind me there, There's um, I don't know if you can see that photo or not. I've only got one photo. I'm only allowed to have one photo in my house, uh, hung on the wall with motorcycles on it. And that is, uh, there's me leading, there's um, Troy Bayless in second, uh, another guy called Damon Buttmaster in third, who was very successful in the um, American Championship. Um, and I think um, just in the background there, there's um, some other, you know, famous dudes as well. But um, that's what it was like back there in the in the 80s and 90s here in Australia. There was, uh, you know, mainstream competition, and guys like Troy Bayless, um, your Mick Doohan's, they were household names even before they went overseas, and that's what it's all about. We need to create these writers and make them household names in their own country again. As soon as you do that, as soon as you make them uh, a star, not just a, a, a writer, but you know somebody that your mum knows who they are, or you know, uh, you, you know your friends. Or, that's when these people start to uh, get notoriety and the names keep going through up into MotoGP.
0: Talking to Troy Bayless, I want to talk obviously about the first round of the World Superbikes at Phillip Island. and uh, But for me, I mean, you know, it was a great result and kind of, I, I could we could have anticipated the results, but but we couldn't have anticipated that man himself, Troy Bayless, getting back on the bike. And I, I got to ask you, as somebody who's been a lap record holder there and has, has raced against him there, you know, I mean, he isn't a spring chicken. Tell us about, how that ride came about and how on earth Kim let him do it.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I don't think Kim had too much to say about that. Like, I think that was like, well, I'm doing it and that was it. But uh, it was it's an incredible story, uh, the way that that ride actually happened, Jonathan. Um, to be honest, he was, you know, I was at the testing on the Monday, Tuesday before the event. David Giuliano had a massive um, high side in turn 12, which is a very, very fast 200 kilometre an hour or, you know, 100-mile-an-hour-plus left-hander onto the straight. David Giuliano high-sided and went over the top of the motorcycle and into the wall and uh, did some damage to his back. He's going to be out for three months. But that opened up the opportunity uh, for somebody to ride that machine. And who else but Troy Bayless? Bayless was already on his way down to the circuit with his dirt bike. It was unbelievable. I mean, you know, he was so... Uh, not expecting to ride, I guess, he went down there. In fact, um, he'd organized a scramble, the Troy Balas dirt bike scramble, um, where him and a few other famous guys uh, had another event held at Phillip Island on the same weekend riding 450 dirt trackers uh, around a specially built track um, up near the um, uh, MG corner. So um, that's why he was driving down. On his way down, of course, um, he got the message Uh, from Ernesto Marinelli, his ex-team boss and the man who took him to his uh, World Championship. Troy, uh, we want you to ride our bike. And if you were Troy Bayless, there's one place in the world where you would ride, and that would be Phillip Island. You've got to remember, Jonathan, the last time that this guy rode at Phillip Island, in 2008 in his retirement year, he got a pole position and a double win. So it's a track that he goes well at, okay? and um so he's rocked up and uh, he hasn't done any of the how pre-season he, 60, testing 64
0: now? how old is he
1: no he's he's only 45 he's a youngster but Uh-oh. still he hasn't ridden since 2008 uh in a competitive road race So he's rocked up to the uh, event, he's missed all of the pre-season testing, he's missed the two days of pre-season testing at Phillip Island, he hasn't ridden at Phillip Island on a race bike since 2008, he goes out in the first session, he gets down to the end of the straight, the bike breaks down, so he didn't even get to do the first session. The second session, when he did get to ride the bike, he actually... um, hated the setup that Giuliano had he hated it. then he gets quicker like then we're talking about oh yeah it doesn't look like you know he's gonna do anything because he was you know a couple of seconds off the pace and I was just saying to the guys just wait then he was like one and a half seconds off the pace just wait and he was getting faster and faster throughout the weekend till the second race uh, he made Super Bowl but in the second race after 10 laps, he was 1.5 seconds off the lead, and at one point, the fastest man on the track.
0: I just love, so, the, I just love the moment when he passed the, the current world champion and made him look very I ordinary. I know.
1: Actually, I sent him a message. You can ask him about the message that I sent him. He did a superlative job uh, out there on that machine. So um, I'd love to see him in Thailand, as I said before. And um, who knows whether he will or not, but uh, that 'd be a great uh, as a fan it 'd be great to see that happen
0: well hang on a minute so thailand 's round two that 's two weeks from now, and then the third round is April twelfth which is uh in spain i mean could he could he keep going
1: well, David Giuliano is out for three months and if you want to look at a standout out performance uh, on a ducati panigali remember the panigali hasn 't won a race yet um, You know, what better man than to get the first race win uh, than Troy Bayless? And sure, I bet he doesn't want to come back full-time, but they're going to need a replacement anyway. Uh, He loves riding the machine. He's very, very fit. Thailand's a track where nobody's been. Nobody's got um, experience. He can feasibly do some testing between now and Thailand to work on that tyre longevity issue that he had at Phillip Island. You know, I can't see why... You know, he couldn't. You know, there's there's three months of opportunity for him to relive his youth.
0: I'll tell you what, mate. I think we should book book some tickets and go and help him.
1: Dude, I'd be there. I'd hold his helmet any day.
0: Yeah, no kidding. That's a, It's just such a great story because he's... He's such, um, you know, he's, he is the man for all seasons. I mean, you know, I, we all remember him shipping up at Valencia and winning that MotoGP, stunning the MotoGP crowd and and, and winning that one-off race and just, just smiling, I mean, from ear to ear because no one predicted it, no one expected it, and he just wiped everybody clean.
1: Yeah, I mean, he certainly did. I remember that day, I was in the Swiss Alps and... Um, with a bunch of 20 Italians all going for uh, Valentino Rossi. And I said, well, just keep an eye on this guy, you know, Troy Bayless, you know, like, um, and yeah, once again, he, uh, you know, he did the business and somebody asked me, Jonathan, they said to me uh, before that weekend at Phillip Island, you know, how do you think Bayless will go? And I thought about it. And I said, well, it's impossible for Troy Bayless to do anything. And then I thought about it again And I said, but on the other hand, he's the only guy or one of the only guys in the world that I've seen do impossible things on a motorcycle. And that just about sums up his career.
0: Yeah, it's a very good point. You know, I mean, he was the guy that came in. People forget, you know, history's a funny old thing. He was the guy that came in to replace Carl Fogarty after Carl fell at Phillip Island. And he was racing in the AMA at the time. And everybody went, well, you can't fill Carl Fogarty's shoes. And boy, did he.
1: Yeah, he did. I mean, it started off a bit rough. He had a DNF or something the first time out. But uh, once he, was he uh, at Imola, wound up, I remember
0: up... it well. He was fourth yeah. in his second race at Imola.
1: Yeah, when he um, when he wound it up, and uh, at Monza as well. I remember him riding it for the you know at Monza for the first time, and he was uh, incredible there. You know what I mean, like. Uh, but he's always been a guy, you know, I don't want to harp on too much about it, but he's always been a guy that's made the most of every opportunity he's got. And just getting back to the ASBK for a second and, and Moto America, that's, you know, what we need to recreate. We need to get find guys like your Baylesses and get them all together in the one class and, and let them go hammer and tong, uh, make the champions like your Rainies, uh, your Edwards, your, you know, all the, the top blokes, get them back out there.
0: Well, we'll stay on the theme. We'll get to Philip Bylam. I mean, it's, it's a crazy start to the year. It's a fantastic start. Racing was brilliant, but I'm going to get to that in a minute because I want to stay on the oldies theme and ask you why the heck you're building a house when you should be out there. Hager has just signed to do the road racing championship in Asia with Kageyama. So, uh, and then, I mean, Andy's going to do the eight hours. Schwantz will probably do it. I, I, Steve, I think you're missing a trick here. LAUGHTER
1: I don't know about that, mate. I mean, the Asian Road Racing Championship is uh, certainly gaining momentum all the time. It's the one that the Japanese manufacturers uh, probably look at more seriously now than even the World Championships in some ways because of the market share in those countries. But because it's a new championship, it's a place where the old guys who probably aren't as fast as they used to be like Haga, let's say, um, and Kageyama can go and have a bit of fun. Uh, and race around against each other, and they haven't really got any competition. So it's, uh, you know, it's a good place for the oldies to go and um, have some fun. Do I, do I want to join in that fun? No, I'm quite happy at home uh, with my mountain man look at the moment.
0: <laughs> yes, and uh, this show is brought to you by L'Oreal, or it was, but uh, unfortunately they found that Steve wasn't really worth it. Uh, and instead, <laughs> Steve has had two sparrows uh, actually nesting in his hair, Throughout most of the winter season, so um, that's not a great look, but um, it's nice that you're being good to the wildlife down in Melbourne.
1: Well, you know, I do my best. Um, I do my best. Uh, if we are out in the countryside. You're more than welcome to come down and have a look. Twenty nine kangaroos I counted this morning in my uh, front garden. So, uh, and that is uh, that's you can take that to the bank. That is not a lie. Twenty nine kangaroos. But you
0: could get you could make all the football boots for the for the World Cup with that much.
1: Well, that is true. I could do that. I've got to catch the things first, though, don't
0: you? All right, guys, you're listening to Speed City's Bike Talk. And I've got my good buddy, Steve Martin, to kick us off in 2015, as we should. Uh, Steve, uh, let's turn our attention now to Phillip Island. And what a great way for the world to kick off motorcycle racing in 2015. I think it's going to be an exciting year in MotoGP, in World Superbike, in Moto America and its new launch. BSB goes from strength to strength. And as you say, the Australian Championship is starting to, you know, starting to get back to its glory days, hopefully.
1: Yeah, my God, what a race at Phillip Island. If you didn't um, catch the racing, uh, you really need to try and watch it uh, somehow because it was... uh, sensational way to kick off uh, the year. The new rules, there's a new rule structure. If you remember last year in the World Superbike Championship, we had two classes. It was always a little bit confusing, but um, there's a new rule set now. So there's just one class, which means um, if you're the guy that crosses the flag first, you're the winner. And uh, what they did was they conglomerated uh, the rules of the standard bikes, let's say the EVO bikes and the Super superbikes, uh, somewhere in the middle. And uh, it's worked out to be really good. It's um, brought the top speeds of the Aprilia down and the Kawasaki down. The rules are more in line now um, that we've gotten rid of those um, two classes with um, making the Panigale a much more competitive bike. So all the bikes are very even across the board. And um, what that does, Jonathan, is it makes for very, very close racing. And my God, if you saw the races, uh, you will know what I'm talking about. Two of the best races that I've ever seen, um, definitely. Uh, And Ducati back up near the front where they need to be. And our old mate Leon Haslam, of course, um, fantastic uh, result for him finding his feet on the Aprilia. So that was good to see as well.
0: And you know what? I want to go and touch on that because on a personal level, we, we know the Haslam's and sometimes I feel a bit biased because, you know, we we spent time with them. We've broken bread with them. We've had dinner with them. We've gone to their house. Obviously, Ron's a great guy, a great uh, guy to be around. And and Leon, you know, continues to be here in Ollie, two of the nicest people in motor racing. But we kind of were thinking that, that Leon had kind of had his shot at a world title because... He's been around for gosh knows how long. But but we were saying at the end of last season, you know, and remember he didn't have a ride at the end of last season. And we were kind of saying off the back of the season that he would had in 2014, he wasn't going to get a ride and look how he bounces back. I'm so happy for him. And the question is, though, Steve, can he maintain it and really put down a campaign? I know he's been runner up before on the Suzuki, but um, could he actually put a campaign together now?
1: I think he can, Jonathan. Um, you know, the last couple of years have been tough for him. Uh, you know, he's come off of the BMW, uh, being teammates with uh, Marco Melandri, which is never a good thing because Marco always gets what he wants. Um, compared to you know, like his teammates, he sort of makes sure they don't get the right stuff. That's so not you what know, his that wife says. No, that is true. Man, whatever man who says goes. I agree I was with that. Say
0: she's in charge of that one.
1: Yeah, true. But um, you know, so he left BMW and then he started off on the Honda. Let's face it, the Honda great bike, but um, you know, it was you know 2008 model. The the base bones of that machine was never going to be a real championship contender. In fact, that oh uh, eight model hasn't won a championship. Um, so You know, then he broke his leg second race out on it, and it was a very, very bad break. He tried to come back too soon, and that created problems as well. And um, if you've ever tried to do anything in an, an intense amount of pain, you'll know that you never performed to your best. All of that's behind him now. He's on a new machine. The Aprilia has always been one of the best and easy bikes in the paddock to ride. And I guess I can't help but draw comparisons between... Um, Sylvan Guintoli on the Honda, who was on the Aprilia last year, uh, and you know Haslam, who's gone from the Honda onto the Aprilia. It's like uh, role reversal, really.
0: Yeah, very interesting. You're absolutely right, and I and I wonder how Guintoli's going to go on at Honda, um, because it's it's not going to be an easy season when you are world champion uh, to 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 have effectively inferior machinery than he had the year before.
1: Well, you know, once again, the rules have changed, which has helped Honda out this year. So the Honda's probably more competitive than it was last year um, because what it's done is it's actually slowed the Aprilia down. In fact, if we look at um, some of the uh, shots um, from Philip Island, the Panigale was passing the Aprilia uh, down the straight a couple of times. So uh, that never would have happened a few years ago. The Aprilia had 20Ks an hour over everything else just about. But, um, yeah, so, um, you know, I think... The Honda is a little bit better than it was when Leon was riding it, but as you rightly say, um, the gap now um, still swings towards the Aprilia and away from the Honda, so um, Gintley is going to have to really pull something out of the hat to get some good results, and Gintley's won a race at Phillip Island for uh, for the last two years at least, so if he was ever going to do good, it was going to be at Phillip Island, and he ended up getting passed by uh, our old mate, Troy Vale.
0: Well, while we're on the subject, you mentioned Melandry and of course, uh, he kind of reluctantly went to MotoGP, and he's been uh, he's been testing at Sepang like everybody else. Now, everybody else has gone home, but I believe he's... Wait, I've just heard... Yeah, I've got news in. He, he now has completed a lap at Sepang. <laughs> <laughs> That's news just in, Steve. I wanted to share that with you. That's just come across the wires uh, from Malaysia. And uh, so I want to congratulate Marco on that lap. And uh, so it's a bit disappointing of a start to his testing for MotoGP.
1: Well, he didn't want to go there in reality, but he didn't have any choice because Aprilia said, well, we're not going to run a factory team uh, in World Superbike, which they reneged on, really, because that's a factory team that Leon Haslam's riding in. Um, So, you know... It's not an easy thing to go from World Superbike back to MotoGP, and yes, it's it's you know, if you put your effort in you can make a very fast superbike like Aprilia did, but to make a very fast MotoGP bike takes a lot of money and technology that the factories don't have. It's cutting edge technology which Yamaha and Honda have. And unless you're willing to spend millions and millions of dollars, it's going to be very hard to catch up with Honda and Yamaha. In fact, uh, since 2008, I don't think another manufacturer has won a race other than Honda and Yamaha in that class. So that just goes to show you, um, if you've got that cutting-edge technology, you can win races in MotoGP. But if you haven't got it, you have to spend millions of dollars and, and, you know, Days and days and weeks at the track with uh, the proper test riders to make the bike, um, you know, competitive. And I'm just wondering whether Aprilia really do have that sort of money to make the bike competitive for Marco.
0: Well, joking aside, I hope they do. They've got the talent, which is Marco Malandri, and there's no joke about that. We know that he's capable of running at the front of MotoGP. He proved it many, many years and the same in world superbikes. And so, you know, I want to see that front end pointy pointy Marco getting out there and, and, and hustling uh, on the Aprilia in, in years to come. And I hope it happens at the by the end of this season, if not before. But I think it's going to be a long, hard road in MotoGP for them for sure.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, you know, Aprilia, Ducati as well. I mean, Ducati, we've seen how committed they've been. um, And they've even, you know, basically all the other factories have a different set of rules to Yamaha and Honda uh, with a softer, more grippier tyre and more fuel. So once they do start winning, they're still still not on the same level as Honda and Yamaha because then they have to start using the less grippy tyres and less fuel, which, of course, less fuel over the race distance means you've got less power. So, um, you know... There's still a fair way to go for these uh, factories. All
0: right. I want to go back into superbikes and some of the big moments that – it was full of big moments, but uh, definitely one that stood out for me, and it's Haslam again. But we've seen it front-handed. You've always been a big exponent of it, but trials riding – That balance that you learn, and it's the same at the boot camp with Colin Edwards, learning balance on a motorcycle is what kept him in the hunt because he went on the grass at, what, 180 miles an hour just coming out of Southern Loop, and he still managed to maintain it.
1: Yeah, yeah. That was luck. That was – I had my eyes closed at that point. Um, I've I've never run off there before, but I wouldn't want to uh, because it's very, very slippery at that point. A lot of riders have crashed there through the years. Um, and normally when you do crash, it's pretty ugly. But the biggest problem with running off there through that southern loop is um, you can't take the pace off on the grass. You can't break. And, of course, there's a right-hand U-bend um, right at the end of that That um, you know, with the riders going around. So all those other riders are actually crossing your path in front. The fact that he managed to not hit anybody was absolutely amazing. So for him to run off on the grass there, lose all that time, and then uh, catch back up to the leaders with a couple of laps to go, and then challenge for the win in race one. It was it was an incredible feat. I mean, he basically had um, in race one enough pace to win that race easily if he didn't make that mistake. He basically went into Southern Loop behind Chaz Davis um, and um, the leader of the race, and what happened was uh, Chaz. Chopped the throttle a little bit. Leon had great mid corner speed through that, um, that uh, the Casey corner there, and um, he nearly ran into the back of him. So, to avoid running into the back of him at 180 miles an hour, he took to the dirt, and um, that's where his trouble started. Then, when he got back on track, he had he corked his tyres by the time he caught back up to the guys, which allowed Jonathan Ray to win the race, but um you know it was uh, it was an incredible moment and i think it was a moment where uh, haslam actually realized that hey i've got the pace to win this thing cuz you know in years gone by if he'd lost that 2 or 3 seconds it would have been a struggle to catch back up but he caught back up easy in race 1
0: another man i want to talk about and uh, i'll get me magic mike marker out because it's magic mike um i'm i'm indifferent about it on the one hand he had a brilliant first weekend in world of superbikes On the other hand, the only expression I can think of is, wind your neck in, mate. Steady on.
1: Yeah, you know what? He's young and, you know, he's got a lot of learning to do. But, my God, he led, for the first time that I can recall, a Honda led a race at, you know, the World Superbike Championship at Phillip Island. I mean, I can't remember Jonathan Ray leading a race there on the Honda so um, you know, although he binned it, I think he did a good job. Yeah, he threw it away coming out of um, uh, Siberia, I think, from memory. But um, you know, although he didn't get a result,
0: well, I know he's a I truck think... driver, but he on that first term when he had Sykes, he it was almost like he was driving a truck. I mean, your your take on that was he unfair on um, Sykes or not?
1: Um. You know my feeling on events like that. Racing's racing and rubbing's rubbing. And if you do something to somebody, uh, you can expect them to do it back to you. So, I mean, you should always ride, like everything in life, Jonathan. You should always um, do the things the same way as you want to be treated back. So, basically, um, the stewards didn't see anything wrong with the pass. It was a clean pass. It's just that, you know, Tom Sykes was on the limit heading in there. He was about to tip in. But uh, he found young Michael Vandermark there. And, of course, remember that Michael Vandermark's never raced against Tom Sykes before. And if you could say one thing about Tom Sykes's strong point, you've got to say that it's breaking late into the corner. That's his strong point. Wherever we go, you go to a track like Imola, Sykes is the man that you've got to beat because there's a lot of upright breaking there. Into turn one, upright breaking. Uh, He's gone to tip in. Michael Vandermark, never raced against him before, has gone, oh, yeah, I'll just stick with this guy. And he's gone in and gone, oh, my God, this guy breaks late. But he'd already committed at that point. He made it. But, uh, you know, Tom was on the absolute limit anyway, and uh, he ran off onto the dirt. So um, not a good weekend for Tom.
0: No, not a great weekend. And and more importantly, um, as we kind of predicted again at the end of last season, um, we knew that Jonathan Ray would be a force to be reckoned with. But how do you sum up what has been the perfect um, first weekend for Kawasaki, who never went at the island. I mean it's like we well, have to go back to Gobert's days or you know, back to the yeah, 18th 19,
1: century. Nineteen ninety six, uh, was the last time Kawasaki won at Phillip Island.
0: Goodness gracious. I bet you were in yeah,
1: that race, were you? Uh, well I don't wanna say, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was. But uh, yeah, no, it was you know, it was absolutely incredible. Um to see jonathan ray uh, adapt to the kawasaki we all knew that he would there was some question mark you know had his style adapted too much to the honda um would he be able to get onto the kawasaki a bike which notoriously theoretically chews its rear tire up uh, sometimes you know all of that talk well the questions have all been answered now and uh He's definitely the main man in contention for the championship as far as I'm concerned because he'd never won or been on the podium at Phillip Island. So to start off with a with a, a win and a second at Phillip Island bodes well, especially now that he's got some races under his belt. Uh, the nerves are gone. Uh, he's got a job to do. I think that uh, he's going to be the man that everyone has to be.
0: Yeah, and I think Tom will – it's going to be interesting because the hunger's going to be there. Tom – who is now an accomplished champion, does not want to have his you know, nose rubbed in it, especially with the team that basically he built. It was built in Tom's house, as it were. Um, and yeah. he was the guy that, as we all know his story, he was the guy rejected, brought back by Paul Byrd. And everybody said, you know, uh, he was still being criticised as not being the real deal, but proved everybody wrong. Or I say everybody, we knew. Uh, and um, I think we kept the faith and, and he proved it. But... Um, You know, I think it's going to be a tough year for Tom because he's going to have to go head-to-head with Johnny. But with Johnny and um, Leon, two very hungry guys who've never won a world title.
1: Yeah, I think we're going to see the winner of the championship this year a first-time winner. That's my gut feeling. Um, But you can't take it away from Sykesy because he has been up against you know some of the toughest competitors over the last four years. Uh, in this championship. I mean, he finished second to Max Biaggi by half a point, Um, you know, like just a handful of points last year to Sylvan Gintoli. Uh, It's always just been him on that uh, Kawasaki versus, you know, a ruck of Aprilia's, you know, Eugene Laverty on the Aprilia had been giving him a hard time as well. So I think Tom, you know, Sykes um, has got a lot uh, to gain, but, you know, his biggest competition is going to be from his teammate this time around.
0: OK, let me throw another thing in there, because everybody's talking about, you know, they're on equal points going to Thailand. But but to be fair, Phillip Island has always been, you know, an Aprilia circuit, or it's always been good to Aprilia over the years. So have we actually seen the form book? And will Thailand, given that it's a neutral and no one's ever been there and it's got no testing time, are we going to get, if we, if we leave Sunday night from, from Thailand, are we going to... Get a clearer picture of how this championship's going to play out.
1: Not at all, because uh, the championship, and you'll hear the riders say this, the championship doesn't really start until they get back to Europe uh, and the tracks that they know well. Because these bikes nowadays, uh, they do have their preferred tracks that they work well at. Thailand is once again, um, we've only hearsay about uh, the circuit. You know, it's quite stop-start, quite you know some long straights but um, it's hearsay. Uh, so it, we could go there. If it is a stop-start circuit, it could suit somebody like Tom Sykes on the on the Kawasaki. Um, but what's going to win this championship is going to be consistency at every circuit. That's the thing that'll win it. Um, you know, you can't afford to have a fifth or sixth place this time out. And then if you're not riding, so like, when the Aprilia had 20 more horsepower than everything else, you know, they used to have, um, and speaking to the guys down at the island, the Aprilia had about 245 to 248 horsepower, which is a lot of mumbo. Now they've got about 215 to 220, which is about the same as what everything else had anyway. So if they, if they had an off day at another track, they still had that 20 horsepower backup. Well, they don't have that 20 horsepower advantage back up anymore. So the Aprilia's will have more bad days than they had as well. So um, the, the most consistent rider is going to be the one that wins this championship. And my gut's telling me it's going to be Jonathan Ray.
0: Interesting. Quickly turn to Supersport, and the story for me in Supersport is in the top three. You've got the return of Gino Ria, which is great news, uh, both for himself and, and for motorcycle racing and for the championship. He's a good kid, and he's a good racer, and has had a torrid time in Moto2. And he needed to bounce back with a podium, and he's done that. But more importantly, Envy and Gustaf. Envy and first and second um, at Phillip Island and that you know we keep talking about the manufacturer because I like to do that because MV are definitely on their way back and I think in the hands of Cluzel they've got a chance of taking it.
1: 100% I mean Cluzel won the race here last year but it was luck you know um, Michael Vandermark crashed out and um, Kenan Sophocle crashed out which sort of like gifted the race to Jules Cluzel last year but um, you know this time round. He set the pace. He was the man. He was the benchmark. Uh, he led the race. Uh, and it wasn't an easy race, that Supersport race either, because those rear tires, due to the heat um, created by that Phillip Island circuit, were suffering immensely. If you rode your bike absolutely flat out, the race was 18 laps long. If you rode it on the limit uh it would the tyres were giving up at 10 laps. So Clazelle had to really manage the tyre life, keep everyone else at bay, and win the race, which he did beautifully. But um you know he had a lot more in hand this year than he did last year. MV have made a lot more improvement to the machine as well. They've got different gearboxes now that uh, are a lot more precise. Um engine braking has been improved a lot. Still lacking a little bit in top end horsepower. But uh, overall, MV are very, very serious about winning the 600 class with their 675 at the moment. Of course, they can run a 675cc because it's a three-cylinder, which means it's a little bit more torquey, but not quite as much top-end as, say, the guys' bikes like Kennan Sophoglu, Gino Ria on his Honda and stuff like that.
0: Okay, uh, and talking of bike development, um, I know that, uh, well, certainly here in America, uh, uh, there's been a lot of talk about the all-new R1 um, from Yamaha, both from a race spec and also from the road-going version. Um, They're one of the few manufacturers who've come out with an all-new bike, uh, and ironically, it was tested in Australia. You were there, of course. Tell us, what is the new R1 like?
1: Yeah, baby. It's, um, you know, obviously uh, Valentino Rossi had a hand in developing the bike. So did um, Josh Hayes, of course, from America. And, um, you know, those boys have done a very, very good job. I've done a lot of miles on the R1, as you well know. I've raced one in World Superbikes, an 07 model. I've won a World Championship on an 09 model, which was the first of the Big Bang models. And that first Big Bang model was a very good bike, but um in street form boy was it slow boy was it heavy but it sounded great and it had a great engine feel so what they've done with the new r1 jonathan is that they've made it an inch narrower they've um lightened it off by uh you know kilograms you know pounds they've taken pounds off everything um the engine's um five kilograms lighter the the clutch is um, 20% smaller. The gearbox is lighter. The frame is um, is uh, completely different. The rear subframe is made of magnesium. The front forks, of course, is two different models now. You've got um, the street version and the race version with the Olin's uh, electronic suspension. So um, there's lots of different things. We were lucky. We got to ride both models. We rode, um, it was a big effort by Yamaha USA. There was 42 R1s there. And we were the first guys, uh, the first journalists um, on track on those R1s. And I'm happy to report that the bike must be good because with, you know, 20 journalists riding around on motorcycles and not one of them crashes on a racetrack, that's an indication of how user-friendly and forgiving a a motorcycle is. So, yes, the new r one is fast. Yes, it handles good. Uh, The electronics are more or less off of the 2012 uh, M1 that uh, Lorenzo rode back in 2012. Similar sort of parameters. There's a little system called an IMU on this new R1. And what that system does, Jonathan, is it actually allows the motorcycle to know where it is. And what I mean by that is whether it's braking whether it's accelerating, whether it's leaning left or right. And this little computer with all of those parameters, um, it controls the traction control, the engine braking, um, anti-wheelie. It controls um, all sorts of different parameters, which can A, uh, help a rider feel very safe on a motorcycle if everything's turned on full, And I tried this, I rode the bike in the standard settings and it just gave me a confidence feeling, you know what I mean? Like really I felt, well, I just cannot crash this motorcycle because it, it, it doesn't give you, it knows what, how much grip you've got basically. And then of course, when I wanted to go fast, I turned everything off and the thing was a weapon. Yes, the R1 is good and yes, it will be able to win races.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, well, what about in Moto America where it's coming into a new era? Uh, obviously, it's got two riders that know Yamaha very well uh, and especially in the hands of a four-time champion, Josh Hayes, uh, given that he had a part in the development as well. Will they hit the ground running or is it going to take time and will that give uh, Yoshimura maybe the chance to, to get uh, you know, ahead of them early on or do you think they'll hit the ground running straight from Koda?
1: I think they're going to hit the ground running. Um, you know, yes, the R1 is leaps and bounds ahead of the old R1, without a doubt. But in race form, all the bikes, of course, they're not standard. So they have, you know, different modifications and things done to them. So most of them, they're all going to be fairly similar. It's still going to come down to, um, you know, set up. Uh, the team structure and how good the rider is. And, I mean, Yamaha, if they have got one good thing behind them, they've got two very, very good riders. They've got, you know, Josh Hazen and, and Bobby A there. So, um, you know, they've got uh, two of the best riders on feasibly two of the newest best superbikes. It's going to take, you know, a couple of years until we see the full potential of this new R1. But the thing is, is it, it's going to be competitive straight off the bat. The thing is, though, It's not going to be as competitive as it will be in the long run. Every year they're going to improve that motorcycle, say compared to some of the other motorcycles that are already on their limit. This new R1 has got a greater scope to improve in the coming years. So, um, you know, God help the competitors if um, the new R1 in America does start winning straight away because it's only going to get stronger in a couple of
0: years. Steve, thanks for that. And uh, I want to talk a little bit. This show is going to be, you know, I want to have you on as much as possible. I know you're going to spend a lot of time in Australia and I want to get the Australian take on all things motorcycle racing and in the in the development. I'll be talking to Colin. Obviously, we're going to be spending a lot of time. We've got Kevin Schwantz on hand. We've got Wayne Rainey, uh, Scott Russell. Uh, I'm going to be talking to Troy Bayless even. I'm going to be talking to everybody that I know in this game all year on this Speed City show uh, and so f- for now, I want to talk to you also about MotoGP. The season's not far away. It, as always, starts traditionally in Qatar at night, and then they'll be heading here to, um, to Austin for the second round. What are your thoughts, if any, on what's happened and what's transpired so far pre-season? The big news
1: for me, Jonathan, about MotoGP is the Ducati GP15. Um, that's one aspect of it. Is it going to be competitive? It's a completely new machine this year, not just an upgrade like they've done in the years gone by. The other aspect for me is uh, Valentino Rossi. Yes, he's an elder statesman now, but he seems to be even more competitive this year in pre-season testing than he has been. So I think he's certainly got Mark Marquez um, knocked, uh, you know, big cross on Mark Marquez's back, and uh, that's what uh, he'll be aiming for this year.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned uh, the, the new Ducati because I th- I've got a feeling, and, and I wonder how you feel about the superbike uh you know, uh, championship. I know they've had a knockback with with, um, the injury and they've got Bayless there, but we saw Chaz Davis on the podium uh, twice. And I just wonder, you know, this is an important year for Ducati worldwide. They're coming out with the Scrambler. They've they've taken a... a, They've removed themselves from being purely and utterly a bespoke, high-end motorcycle manufacturer. They want to kind of get amongst uh, the mainstream with the Scrambler, I believe but they've got to win on the racetrack because that's the DNA, that's the ethos of Ducati.
1: Well, that is the DNA. And if you look at the, the DNA of Ducati, a couple of years ago, they sacked basically everybody in the race department, got rid of them all, and then they employed the man from uh, Aprilia, Delignia, um, Gigi Dallinia. And um, for the last couple of years, Gigi Dallinia has been... Um, just playing with the bike that Ducati already had, doing a bit of this and a bit of that. But this is uh, a very important year for Gigi delinea because his Kahunas are on the line. This is the fir- this GP fifteen is made by him, his design, and everything that he wanted in a motorcycle. So um, if it doesn't work, I think that uh, he's in a, a whole load of bother. That's um, that's what I think about Ducati at the moment. Yeah, and as we've seen with the Panigale, uh, Jonathan, they've got that right. It seems to be on the right path. You know, a couple of uh, podiums for Chaz Davis at Phillip Island, something that the Panigale has never been able to do. But let's face it, MotoGP is where it's at. So, um, you know, Delinia's kahunas, sorry, yeah, uh, Gigi's kahunas are definitely on the chopping block this year, in my opinion.
0: And what about the Superbike? You know, we've seen, obviously, Chaz is capable, but can they actually challenge Kawasaki and um, Aprilia?
1: Yeah, they can. This year they can. With the rule change, it's affected um, Ducati a lot less. Basically, just to give you a, you know, it's complicated, but to give you a, a, a rough rundown of the rules, last year, you know, the major players, the major factory teams could change pistons, they could change crankshafts, they should, could change con rods, and all that stuff gives you more reliability and more power. This year they've got to keep all that standard or homologated or very close to the weights, the tolerances of the standard machine. So what that means is that um, they've had to run all their standard gear, which was the rules that the Ducati had anyway. So basically the Ducati hasn't changed much, just the other machines have been uh, having to run the standard uh, equipment inside the engine as well. Now, why would the Ducati have standard stuff? Uh, in years gone by, and the others allowed to have the trick stuff. Easy, the Ducatis are you know twelve hundred cc. Basically, that's the reason. But now, uh, the rules have changed, and everybody's on even even footing.
0: And finally, Steve, we mentioned and we've mentioned it a few times. Your thoughts on the new Moto America? Um, it's exciting, um, and you know, as being somebody who's been part of that series over the years, um, we're ready for a new a new era, right?
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, I was lucky enough to uh, race in the AMA. Nobody will remember, thankfully, but um, I raced in the AMA uh, in uh, the late 90s um, for Chuck Graves, believe it or not, on the Yamaha when he was first starting out. And, um, you know, I had a great time. I, I love America. I love the championship. Um, but uh, it's a new era now. And uh, I'm really, really excited about it. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I don't know if I can see it on TV over here or not, but I certainly would love to be able to um, so that us Australian fans can follow it as well. And um, everything I've heard about it is positive. They've got some very good people in and around the project now. Of course, Wayne Rainey uh, spearheading it, yourself commentating, um, along with uh, Colin Edwards as well and Christy Lee. I think they've um, got everything nailed down. They've got the right uh, infrastructure to have a a fantastic championship. And um, I think what we need to do now, um, or what you guys need to do, is have, um, you know, it's not going to happen overnight. I think it needs to be a rebuilding year um start off and you know maybe a three-year plan and uh bring it back to the heydays of uh of motorcycle racing in america
0: i couldn't agree more mate i'm so excited uh and you know can't wait to get started it's going to start here at circuit of the americas and um as you know our good buddy chuck axland is involved and that's another part of this that i'm excited about is that the guy you know with wayne rainey and chuck axland these are two guys whose families have been involved Uh, You know, and Roberts as well. Uh, You know, this this is the dynasty that is. This is the sort of legacy that is the AMA. And so this is so close to their hearts. This isn't just a this isn't just a business decision. This is a passion for them. and, And that's really what excites me.
1: Me too. And that is, uh, you know, you've got the heavy hitters on board now. That's what you've got. I mean, Wayne Rainey doesn't need to do this because he needs money. He He's doing it because of the passion. And when you get somebody doing something for passion, it's always going to work out better than when somebody does something for money. And that's the way that I view it. And um, to have such big names like Wayne Rainey, like Chuck Axelon in there, um, you know, Colin Edwards supporting the series, um, it just doesn't, you know, it's, it, you can't have a better um, base than that. So uh, I, I'm really looking forward to the series kicking off.
0: All right, Steve. Well, I'm delighted to, uh, you know, saddle up with you once again. We'll do it for the rest of the season. Um, and I want to make sure that we give our opinions and get it across uh, across all the series around the world. And we'll get other people to... to um to plough in and uh, to uh, give their thoughts on it as well. But um, you're listening to Speed City's Bike Talk Show uh, with Steve Martin, Jonathan Green, bringing you uh, everything we know anyway about what's going on in the world of bike racing. I guess next time would be uh, Thailand and uh, we'll post Thailand and uh, look ahead and look at uh, MotoGP. Maybe I'll, we'll do another one um, then because we'll, get, we'll be getting into it by then.
1: Yeah, mate, I can't wait to, to get this season underway. Looking forward to it. World Superbikes have started. Thailand World Superbikes. Qatar's coming up um, very soon as well for the first MotoGP round. That's always a good one. It's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Um, not sure when Moto America starts. I think it's um, – what April date 12. is that? April 12th. I wish I could be there, but that's when the ASBK is on here in Australia too. So, um I wish you all the best and thank you for having me.
0: And don't forget BSB starting off soon. They're testing it in Spain. I just heard sad news that uh, poor old shaky had a nasty fall um, for PBM, but he's going to be okay. I hope, Uh, but that's going to be another strong series always is.
1: Yeah. Just um, on the last thing caught up with Josh Brooks as well. He's one of the guys riding these new R1 Yamahas uh, in the British championship. Um, He was at the launch and, um, he was uh, pretty happy with the bike as well. So uh, it's another uh, rider getting a sneaky test on one of those R1 machines.
0: And what about BSB? Same, same usual fare you think?
1: I, you know, I think it will be, I'm looking forward to seeing it, but that it's always a good series. You know, it's a very well supported series the the English fans, um, come out in their droves. They're not weather affected. It can be pouring with rain. They'll still turn up, you know, you've, you've got an English background and, um, You know, uh, Stuart Higgs runs a fantastic um, event. The rules are set right for England and the population that they've got. The other advantage that England has got over, you know, Australia and America, of course, is such a small place um, that, you know, you you can be at one track one weekend and half an hour in the other direction is the next track. You don't have to drive for four or five hours across the country to get somewhere. So it's a little bit easier in England than it possibly is uh, in other countries around the world.
0: So, Steve, finally on this show, I want to make sure that we uh, kind of just keep a look ahead to the future. Is there anybody we should be looking at on the radar that you saw at Phillip Island coming through the junior ranks? A name that no one's heard of yet?
1: Whoa, that's a difficult one. That is a difficult one, Jonathan. Um, in super sport, keep an eye on Kyle Smith. He was uh, battling up there with uh, Juno Ray for... Uh, a podium position his first time ever on a super sport bike so uh, remember that name Carl smith that's my pick for this time out
0: fair enough and i will throw in the name breeden Ort from canada our championship in moto america may spread as far as canada he's 15 16 years old saw him in the junior cup uh, last year got a lot of talent who knows another name for the future
1: <laughs> good one jonathan
0: all right, mate. Well, great to talk to you. Uh, carry on. Finish that house, will you? I'm dying for somewhere to stay when I come down.
1: I'm just painting your bed right now.
0: What pal- What colour are you painting it?
1: Oh, your favourite colour, white.
0: Oh, okay. Cool. I can, put my stickers, <laughs> I can put my stickers on then.
1: Yeah, it's all ready for race stickers, mate.
0: Cool. Love it. All right, my friend. Keep going. Uh, love to everybody in Australia. Keep doing the good work. We'll have you back on the Speed City Bike Show really soon. And... Um, Thanks for all your always uh, brilliant opinion.
1: No problem. Loved it. Loved every minute of it.
0: All right, buddy. Miss you. Speak to you soon.
1: Ciao.